listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. This is your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Friday, the 17th of November 2023. Uh, later on Market Day, we will speak with Zoran Kresovich from 8Cap. But first, to New Zealand's population, which surged by about 138,000 in the 12 months to September. That's the most in 30 years and most of that influx migration. For more, Raina Bosch spoke with Jared Kerr, the Chief Economist at Kiwi Bank. Look, uh, migration is, is a big part of the New Zealand story uh, on any given year. And we had a you know a massive migration boom from 2013 to 2019 that was cut off by COVID, but it looks like it's resumed. Uh, over the last year, we've seen net uh, immigration of 120,000, which is a, a very big number for a small country like New Zealand. Uh, most of those people are coming from Asia. Uh, and they're they're settling uh, in NZ, and it's a similar story in Australia. In terms of the economy, we know that New Zealand, like everywhere, has its challenges at the moment with inflation and the like. What kind of an impact is this increase in migration presumably going to have? Yeah, we're still feeling our way through it. Um, there's two sides to this coin. Uh, on the on the one side, there's an increase in supply of much needed labour. Uh, we've been short uh, workers for a long time. Uh, businesses up until sort of earlier this year were screaming out for workers. We've now seen quite a, a, an influx uh, and businesses are no longer complaining uh, as much about the inability to find workers. So that's good. And that increases the supply uh, of our labour force and actually puts a bit of dampening pressure uh, on wages. That's one side of the coin. The other side is that you'd you know, we've got an extra 120,000 people. You know, we're going to need an extra 40,000, 50,000 uh, homes for those people, which we're not building. Uh, it puts pressure on all of our uh, infrastructure um, and we need to invest uh, on the on the back of it. We need to put more money into education and health, uh, et cetera. So it can be inflationary as well, plus the fact that they arrive and they want to buy a car and some furniture. Uh, it does put pressure on on everything. So I'm glad you brought up the housing market there because that was going to be my next question. In terms of the impacts there and how New Zealand is faring generally, how are things shaping up at the moment with this influx? So we already have uh, quite a shortage of housing um, in, in New Zealand. We don't we haven't kept up uh, with the pace of population growth uh, for, for quite a while, you know, you know, at least a decade. So we've already got a shortage. That shortage is growing um, with the spike in, in migration. Um, the housing market has gone through a bit of a correction. Um, the Reserve Bank hiked interest rates quite aggressively. There's been, in, been some rule changes uh, around what investors can do. Uh, so we have seen house prices decline about uh, 20%. But things are uh, turning, and I think house prices will actually rise uh, sort of 5 to 7% next year. A lot of that is on the back of the surge in migration. So we've spoken there about some of the advantages and disadvantages. In terms of the general feel in New Zealand at the moment, is the current population receptive to this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like I said, it's been part of our story, part of our makeup um, for, for as long as uh, as long as we can remember. Um, migration has been a big part of our story. There is some concerns around the amount of Kiwis leaving uh, at the moment, 
uh, and heading to Australia uh, is the number one spot. Uh, about 60% of Kiwis leaving go to Australia and the others sort of head on up to U- to the UK. Um, that is a, a worry. You know, why are they leaving? Uh, we're losing, um, you know, good, good uh labor or or or, uh you know kiwi intelligence heading off uh overseas so that is a bit of a worry um but like i said we're we're importing a lot more than we're we're exporting finally jared bringing things back under a national lens i know that you mentioned that the issue is kind of similar here in australia we've obviously got migration up at records how does australia compare to new zealand in terms of this and do you see the struggles that you're currently facing in your economy um, as a byproduct of migration being reflected here yeah look i I think it's um a large part of both countries uh, stories right um we have seen quite a surge in, in migration into both uh, countries that puts pressure on on everything as as we mentioned um, and uh, you know we need to invest for these extra people that we're that we're bringing in um, it is an important part of our demographics so if you look at Australia's population and New Zealand's population and you sort of forecast you you see people's forecasts into the future our populations don't peak because we import people um, there are countries out there like China, its population has peaked, it's ageing, and they go through a lot more trouble um, because of it. So we don't, we don't face that because of our migration settings, um, but we do need to invest for it. We do need to invest for these extra people that we're allowing in. That's Jared Kerr there, the Chief Economist at Kiwi Bank, speaking with Raina Bosch. Now, Market Day on the SBS On The Money podcast. Energy stocks led the declines on the Australian share market today. The S&P ASX 200 down 0.13%, 7,049. For more, I spoke with Zoran Kresovic from 8Cap. Predominantly driven by the fact that obviously it's better profit taking given the fact that we've seen quite elevated moves within the market over the last week or so. I mean, overnight, if we go back to the US market and we look at the US Treasury yields, they've actually come off slightly on the back of the jobless claims uh, in the US arising and also S&P 500 and NASDAQ actually gaining some ground. So if you have a look at the ASX, it's probably mutual at the moment, but predominantly driven by obviously the energy sector as well as discretionary sector. Those two sectors have been actually the worst performing for a week in total um, on the back of crude oil actually going down approximately 5% overnight. Yeah, can we talk about that oil price falling in more details? Run us through what's moving that slump recently, what it says about the global economy and the implication for investors and consumers. Absolutely. So as we can see, if you have a look at the global terms, we can see that obviously essentially elevated, um, you know, movements in terms of the inflation across the globe overall. Most recently on Wednesday morning, Australian Eastern Standard Time, we've actually seen a bit of a surprise to the downside in terms of the CPI data from the US, which indicates one thing that you know, US inflation is actually starting to stagnate or slow down on the back of aggressive interest rate rises that we've actually seen, uh, you know, lift, lifting rates over the last 12 months or so. I mean, majority of other countries across the globe have actually followed the same. So whilst I do actually have a look at the CPI headline inflation, uh, I also pay a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, attention to the actual core numbers as well. But food and energy have been actually a, a 
accelerating over the last 12 months enormously. And uh, crude oil at one point actually touched $92. Um, that's heavily driven by obviously strong economy, um, a lot of um, a lot of disposable money that's been actually printed over the last couple of years due to COVID and a number of other macro factors. And um, also by the fact that we've actually seen a number of inventories. So the inventory in the U.S. at the moment is actually skewed towards more uh you know, supply demand. Uh, but not only that, OPEC countries such as uh, Russia and um, Saudi Arabia have also uh, increased the supply of crude oil approximately $1 million per barrel, um, which is the biggest number since the lows back in August 2023. So if you take into account all these factors, uh, we can definitely see that, you know, there is a quite a bit of supply in the market at the moment. Um, you know, the demand is actually not quite there. At the moment, unfortunately, because of the economy slowing down, and therefore we are actually seeing crude oil crashing towards that $73 level. What's important to note as well, Ricardo, here is the fact that, you know, if you have a look at the technical charting and we look at the key levels of support in terms of the crude, what we essentially can see that there is potentially more downside in crude oil. And we are looking at the range between $65 and $70. So, um, you know, we anticipate further downside, anyway, 5 to 10% uh, until it can actually find a good base and hopefully, um, you know, stagnate around those levels before maybe we actually see further demand coming into 2024. You mentioned implication for inflation. We know that US inflation eased to its lowest since July, the UK the lowest in uh, two years. We saw that data this week. Is it likely to mean the same for Australia then or are there still some risks? Well, Australian market is actually slightly different if you have a look at the global scope of things. And the reason for that is, is because we've actually been fairly late in terms of lifting the interest rates within the actual cycle. So if you take a comparison, basically Reserve Bank of Australia, we can see that we are currently sitting at 4.3% in terms of the terminal rate. For example, if you compare that to the Bank of England, the Fed, uh, ECB, um, even uh, Reserve Bank of New Zealand, we can actually see that from 2022, they have started lifting the rates a lot more aggressively than us. And these implications we can actually see right now because all these economies are actually starting to slow down as opposed to the AU economy, which is actually still growing quite aggressively. And uh, Fed future rates at the moment are pricing another 0.165% interest rate rise until May, June next year. So right now we're sitting at 4.3%. So we are looking for another 15 basis points either in the month of December, unlikely, or in the month of February because no meeting in January. So what that tells me is obviously wage growth is still actually quite strong at the moment. What we're seeing is, uh, you know, minimal wage growth increase to approximately 5.29%. Private sector wage growth is actually still strong. And we've seen the last quarterly figures of 1.3% come in the highest within the last 26 years. Unemployment is the lowest within the last 50 years. So it's only normal to think that RBA will most likely continue raising the rates. Uh, how much we don't know at this point in time, but I would expect at least another 25 basis points. On the back of that, obviously, you know, crude oil implications will be there. Uh, you know, the growth is still there, which means that, you know, crude oil is highly likely to elevate within Australia as opposed to the rest of the globe where inflation is taming. We are seeing a lot of deflationary, um, you know, figures at the moment and a lot of economies are actually slowing down right now. 
Okay, so finally, if inflation um, is likely to, if interest rates are still likely to rise in Australia, or at the very least stay higher for longer, what does that mean for where the opportunities for investors are right now? Well, we're seeing still quite a bit of opportunities within the financial markets. I mean, if someone is actually quite conservative in in their approach and they'll go a whole heap of cash uh, sitting around, then obviously you can't go wrong with going into a term deposit or basically getting your uh, back for your money with, with, you know, holding funds and earning the interest on it. But what I like to actually consider is a little bit more aggressive approach. So if we're having a look at the equities, Australian equities in particular, you know, a lot of focus has been put through into the material sector because we can see R&O reaching 130 at the moment USD. So highest number from the March lows. Um, it seems like actually Chinese economy, whilst there is a lot of challenges and a lot of difficulties going on at the moment, there is still a scope for the actual uh, pickup and growth because IMF International Monetary Fund has actually revised the GDP growth for China from 5 to 5.6%. Uh, you know, for the rest of the 2023, as well as further growth in 2024. So we still might get that growth out of China. And given the fact that we are an exporting nation, you know, 30% of our exporters are going to China. Uh, given the fact that obviously that uh, political and macro, um, you know, playbook is also playing in the favor as well. We've seen the you know, uh, president of China meeting the U.S. President Biden over the last 24 to 48 hours. So things are going in the right direction. So material sector is definitely one that I would be focusing on, as well as the actual discretionary sector as well, because whilst discretionary sector has been under a lot of pressure and household incomes are under a lot of scrutiny at the moment with having less disposable income, going into that November, December seasonality, which is generally pretty good for the actual equities in general, what we can see is basically the spending is likely to climb going into the Christmas and New Year. Uh, lastly, uh, we also like to look at the currency pairs as well. So having a look at something like that's, uh, you know, uh, carry trade, you, you know, if you're looking to offset the high yielding interest rates against the low e- yielding interest rates, then you'd be probably looking into the US dollar versus the Japanese yen, which has been performing exceptionally well and reaching the 2023 highs at this point in time. Aussie USD, another one, especially for the reasons that I mentioned previously. If we are purely looking on, you know, Aussie interest rates continuing to rise and we are looking at US interest rates actually, uh, you know, depreciating or markets actually looking to cut the rates in April or May next year, then there might be scope for more upside on Aussie dollar as well if it breaks out of the range of 63 to 65 cents. That's Zoran Krasovic there from ACAP. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. Why do people want to be at work? To feel heard, appreciated, part of something, and to know there's a career path for everyone. Inclusive workplaces are linked to increased innovation, productivity, and employee satisfaction. Make your organisation a place where people want to be. 
For inclusion and diversity training, visit inclusion-program.com.au.